Also from my side, um, those of you who are visiting, my name is Jonathan. I have the wonderful privilege of sharing uh, the sermon this morning, sharing what I believe God wants to speak into each one of our lives, including my life, uh, for us uh, this morning. Um, we are busy with a sermon series called Undignified. And the heart behind this sermon series is we want to look at the life of David. And as we're looking at the life of David, we want to discover and grow in our understanding how does a life of worship look like? A life of worship where we do not just respond in worship in moments like this, but that moments like this overflows into a lifestyle of worship in response to God. And the first two weeks, Hink and Nettie did a fantastic job in just laying a foundation of that worship is so much more than just the songs that we sing. And today we're going to continue, and I'm, I'm personally excited about today's theme. I believe today's theme is crucial for us to live a life of worship. I believe today's theme is crucial for us to live a way worthy to Jesus. I believe the principle that we share today is crucial for us to live this life well. And we're going to look at an encounter in David's life. It's 2 Samuel 15. If you have your Bibles with you, you can read with me. Or you can turn to 2 Samuel 15. But before we do this, I want to pray for us as we study God's Word. Father, this morning, um, we gather because of you and for you. And we want to thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have, that we have your word, Lord, to have not just words on a page, but to have your heart and your mind and your will imparted through these words. And Lord, I pray this morning that you, by your spirit, as we apply our faith and approach your word with humility, that you would, by your spirit, come and make it alive and active in our hearts and our minds. That you would speak to us personally today, but you'd, that you would guide us in your truth. Lord, I pray that you would protect us against any, any lies and any twisting of your word, Lord. But Lord, that you would lead us as individuals and as a family into your perfect will for us this morning through your word. We pray and ask this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're going to read together 2 Samuel 15 from verse 7. Uh, and we're going to spend quite a lot of time in 2 Samuel. Uh, but you can read with me. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Now to give us a little bit of background as to what's happening here. If you don't know this, Absalom is David's son. And Absalom didn't always live in Jerusalem. There was a certain period of his life that he was not in Jerusalem. See, Absalom had a half-brother, Amnon. Don't know if David and his wife weren't very creative, Absalom, Amnon. Um, but he had a half-brother, Amnon, who fell in love with his sister, Tamar. And Amnon forcefully or forced himself onto Tamar, and he slept with her. And, and Absalom was absolutely outraged by this, which you can understand. But Absalom took matters into his own hands. And he took revenge for Tamar, and he killed Amnon. And out of fear of what might happen to Absalom, he fled Jerusalem. Because he killed his half-brother. He's also David's son. And he fled in fear of his life. And three years after he, he killed his half-brother, King David had Absalom brought back to Jerusalem. King David wanted to restore something, and he brought back his son to Jerusalem. And now four years has passed, 
since Absalom has returned. That's what's happening here. But during these four years, Absalom has made a name for himself. He's a charismatic guy. If you're going to read a little bit of ahead or before the scriptures, Absalom's a charismatic person. He's, a, he's got great appearance. He's a good speaker. And for the last four years, he's grown in strength and popularity. And he's done this basically by making promises to people, by exalting himself, and by bad-mouthing his father. Bringing his father's ability to lead in question. And he's saying to people, if I were king, this and this would not happen. If I were king, you would experience this. And he's basically degrading his father. That's his father that brought him back. That's his father that showed mercy and grace towards him. And he's lifting himself up, saying, this is what I will do. This is how you will benefit when I lead. And he makes promises to people. He's promoting himself. Promise, promises to people and bringing his father's character into question. That's what's happening here. And now he comes to David and he says to David, while I was away, I made a vow to God that if God returns me to Jerusalem, I will worship him in Hebron. That's what's happening here. Now verse 9. The king said to him, go in peace. Makes sense. You made a vow to God. You want to bring a thanks offering. That's what Absalom is saying. I want to thank God because he was faithful. And I want to bring worship to him for what he has done. And David says, go in peace. Go and honor God. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So he's telling them, you're going to hear sounds. You're going to hear the trumpets blow. And when you hear that trumpets blow, I want you to declare Absalom has been anointed as king. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, so he's actually worshiping. While he was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel. And I think I should get credit for naming that word. <laughs> the Gilonite, David's counselor. Absalom requests the counselor to come because it would look as if the counselor is supporting Absalom as king to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come. We must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. This is in the latter part of David's life. David has had many conquests. He's had many victories in battle. He's had many personal victories, many personal victories as a king and his response to his son's uprising is surprising in spite of the mercy and grace that David has shown Absalom Absalom has decided I have had enough this is my time I deserve more I am better I deserve better and Absalom takes his future into his own hands and he does what is right in his own hands, in his own eyes. And he takes control. And he plans the scoop. And Absalom is busy stealing the kingdom from his father. Kingdom that was promised by God to David. 
And what's worse, Absalom uses the pretense of worship to do this. Absalom uses his worship of God as a smokescreen for selfish motives. His worship is rooted in getting what he wants. It's self-centered. It's a pretense. It's all about him. If you read this account, you just see how it's, everything is about Absalom. His will. Self-centered. Now, if you were David, how would you react? For a moment, put yourself in David's shoes. How would you react? This person that you've showed love, you've showed grace, you've showed mercy, you've helped restore him. You've, you've, your whole life has been a battle to get to this place that God has promised you. How would you respond? That what God has promised you is being stolen from you in a moment by a person that you love and you showed mercy and grace to. How would you respond? So I don't think any one of us knows how it feels to lose a kingdom. If you do, I would love to speak to you afterwards. I don't think any one of us sitting here today is currently fleeing out of fear for, for your life. But all of us sitting here today can associate with David because all of us at one stage or another has been disappointed by people. All of us sitting here today has at one stage or another been hurt by people. been betrayed all of us have in some form or another faced moments of injustice we went this is not fair it's not right what's happening now all of us have had to wrestle through how people's decisions, how other people's decisions, how their acts and their, their sins directly impacts our lives. How what they choose to do has an effect on your life. All of us have had to wrestle with that. All of us have faced moments of fear and anxiety. Not knowing what lies ahead, a fear of the future. All of us have been in situations that's completely out of our control. So the question is not so much how David reacted. It's more how do you react in those moments. In moments that's unfair, hurtful, and uncertain, how does your worship look like? How do you respond in those moments? See, David could have responded in a couple of ways. David could have, could have fight back. He could have gone, I'm going to take control over this situation. Absalom, I'm going to teach you a lesson. It's time that I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to make strategies. Remember, he was a, he was a conquering king. He had many victories in battle. He's a good strategist. He's got years of experience. He could take control of this moment and fight back. He could have trusted his own ability and his own military strength. Remember, David still has some popularity in Jerusalem. It's not that everybody is against him. He's got some favor. Could have relied on his strength, could have relied on his relationship, could have relied on his strategy. He could have stood and fought back on his right as king. He could have fought for what was rightfully his. But then he would have been just like Absalom. Think about it. 
trusting himself. Taking control over his future. Believing he is better and he deserves better. Could have fought back. Could have fought back. But God didn't command him to. If he would fight back in this moment, he would do it from his own strength and his own understanding. He would take control and he would be just like Absalom. Or David could have rebelled. David could have gone and become angry at God. Why is God allowing this? Where's where's God? God said he made a covenant. Why is God not coming through? What is happening here? Why, God? Why? Could have become angry. Could have questioned God's character. Does God not care? Is God not loving? Can God not see what's happening? Can God not see this is not fair? In his heart, he could have rebelled against God. Questioned his character and his will. He could have turned away from God out of disappointment. Could have turned away and said, God, I cannot anymore. It's just too much. It's just too hurtful. Cannot anymore. And he could have turned away from God, rebelled from God, and lose all faith and all hope. But again, then he would have been just like Absalom, where everything is about him. Even his worship to God is about what him. It's about him. His relationship with God is centered around what is in it for him. How do you respond to moments that's unfair, uncertain, and hurtful? Because we need to be careful. Because like David and like Absalom, we can easily try and take control. And just as easily fall for the temptation of rebellion. Questioning God's heart, his character. How do you respond? Let's see how David responded. Verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. Now remember, David is now fleeing and there's a group of people that's going with him, people that's loyal to him. And and they are just crying. The, The king also crossed the Kedron Valley. And all the people moved on towards the wilderness. Zadok, he was the priest, was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the ark of the covenant of God. They sat down the ark of God and Abatha offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Verse 30. This is now, they're taking the ark back. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered. And he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. David's response is so unexpected. If you were here the previous two weeks, you would hear the Ark of the Covenant quite a lot. You would hear the previous two weeks how Enk and Neti spoke about how the Ark of the Covenant was really important to Israel. It represented the presence of God. Now we see as David is fleeing, the Ark of the Covenant is with David. The priests and the Levites are with David, not with Absalom. The presence of God is with David. And David can use this to his advantage. I'm reading the scripture and I'm going, man, David, you've got the, you've got the Ark with you. Two weeks ago, we heard how somebody just touched the ark and they died. There's something behind this. You've got the presence of God. You can use it 
to your advantage. And what does David do? Sends it back. Sends it back to the city, back to the people of God. Why? Why doesn't they, David take, use this opportunity? I think there's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons I don't think the presence of God was always, was only intended for individuals. I don't think the presence of God was intended for personal gain. More importantly, David trusted God. His response to this uncertain, unfair, unfamiliar situation is one of trust. And he sends back the Ark of the Covenant. See, he resists the urge to fight back, to take control. He fights the temptation to rebel against God, question his character and nature. And he trusts God's sovereign will and character. And he says, I am ready. What a powerful statement. I am ready. Let God do to me whatever seems good to him. I'm ready. I trust him. Trust his will. See, at the heart of what it means to worship God is to trust Him. The heart of worship is to trust God. Because when we worship God, we say, you are God and I am not. Therefore, I trust your will. I trust your sovereign character. I trust your sovereign will. I trust your sovereign ability because you are God and I am not. I'm placing my trust in you and not in myself. The heart of worship is a heart that trusts God. It's saying, you are God, therefore it's about you. It's not about me. I am ready. May you do whatever you seems fitting. I am ready. May you do whatever seems good to you. Trust. So David's trust in God is reflected in Psalm 3. You can read with me. Psalm 3, verse 1 to 6. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. This is a psalm that David wrote in response. This is a song that proclaims his trust when Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. This is David's trust. Notice how David does two things. He acknowledges his realities and his beliefs. In Psalm 3 we see his reality. Many are rising up against me. Many are my foes. What I'm facing, it's not something that's um, in my mind. It's real. Absalom is coming for me. And there's many that wants to see him succeed. That's the reality. What you're going through is unfair. That's the reality. It's not right. It is hurtful. It's a reality. Many are saying, God will not deliver him. 
you read 2 Samuel 16, you will see that there was actually people, and there was one individual specifically that walked around the ro- along the road, and, and he just cursed David. He said, you're, you're done. This is you. This is God punishing you for your sins. I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever we go through difficulty, there's always voices around us that wants us to discredit the nature and character of God. There's always voices that we face that goes, is God really good? Will God really come through? Voices that brings confusion and fear that questions the nature of God. These are our realities. And David said, this is my realities, but you. But God. These are the realities. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. Is David in this moment experiencing God's protection? Or is he fleeing for his life? David is reflecting on that what he knows about God. That what he's already experienced about God. And he says, I know in this moment that you are my shield. Even though it might not feel that way. I know and I've learned that you are the one who lifts up my head high. You are the one that restores me. You are the one that answers me. When you feel far off, when I don't have answers, I know you are the one that answers. And I've learned that I can lie down and sleep. Because stressing about it and staying awake, trying to take control, makes no difference Because I go to bed and I wake because the Lord sustains me. David is saying, I've realized that I I can't keep myself alive. I go to bed and I wake up and it's by the mercy and grace of God. You sustain me. And in this moment, you have to sustain me because I cannot. And therefore, I will not fear. To trust God. Is not to ignore our circumstances and hope for the best. That's not trust. To trust God is to, instead of our circumstances, hold on to what we believe and know about God. That's trust. Circumstances is real. But I hold on to what I believe and know about God. But let's be honest this morning. Trusting God is easier said than done. I don't know if if we're willing to be really honest this morning. Trusting God in moments where things are unfair, hurtful, and uncertain is easier said than done. Not because God is unfaithful or not trustworthy. Not because God is not able to, or because God is apathetic, that he's not involved, that he doesn't care. Those are not the reasons why we struggle to trust God. Struggle to trust God because if we're honest, our hearts are more inclined to act like Absalom than David. It's difficult for us to trust God. Because it's easier to trust ourselves. It feels safer to take control. It feels safer to do what's right in our own eyes. It feels safer to follow our own will. See, we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We tend to do what's right in our own eyes. Follow our own will. We tend to rely on our own understanding of what's happening with us. We tend to try and take control of all our circumstances and the outcomes of our decisions. Try and control our environment and everything. Try and control our future. We tend to focus on what we think we deserve. And because of this, unfortunately, we tend live self-centered lives like Absalom 
And as long as this is the inclination of our heart, we will struggle to fully trust God and ultimately wholeheartedly worship Him in every area of our lives. See, we worship that what we put our trust in. So this morning, we need to ask, what are you trusting? What are you trusting? Because that's what we're worshiping. Not in moments where we sing songs, but in moments when we leave the building. What are you trusting? What are you worshiping? See, there's another prayer that took place on the Mount of Olives. We see this happening, and David is weeping, and he's walking on the Mount of Olives. There was another prayer prayed on the Mount of Olives. Luke 22, verse 39 to 42. Jesus. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. I pray that this will be our prayer. And I know Jesus meant something else there, but I pray that we'll not fall into the temptation to take control of our own lives. I pray that we'll not fall into the temptation to rebel and question God's nature and His will. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Evening before Jesus was crucified, he had an unanswered prayer on the mountain of Olives. If you are willing, take this cup from me. Not my will. Your will be done. Our trust is in the complete work of Jesus. He was willing to wholeheartedly trust God and fully submit to the will of God. More than what we're ever able to do. And because of his complete trust to God, we benefit. So when we, fall, when we fail to trust God wholeheartedly, we turn to Jesus. When we want to take control and trust ourselves and follow our own will, we turn to Jesus. When our hearts are tempted to rebel and question God's nature, we turn to Jesus. And we ask him, God, would you change our hearts? There's something inside of me that wants to take control. There's something inside of me that's fearful. There's something inside of me that questions your nature. But my trust is in you. Because when I look at the cross, I see the answer to the question, where is God? When I look at the cross, I see the answer to the question, does God care? When I look at the cross, I see the answer to is my life valuable and does God, is God involved? I see yes, yes, yes. I see a God that has already proven that nothing is impossible for Him. I've seen a God that has already declared, I am with you. I care for you. I love you. I have a plan for your life. I want to restore you. It's yes, yes, yes. And when my heart failed, I turned to Jesus and I said, because you trusted I am able to come to the Father, and like David, I can say, the Lord is my shield around me. Not because I'm perfect, not because I don't have the desire to take control, fight back, not because I'm not wrestling with what's happening is unfair, but because Jesus trusted God, and he said, because of that, I have all the benefits that Jesus deserved. I can come to God and say, God, even though I feel 
this way. And even though I cannot see what you're doing, even though I don't understand your will, you are my shield. And I trust you. You are the one that lifts my head on high. It's unfair what's happening. It's not right. But you will restore. Your justice will prevail. And I trust you. You are the one that answers me. And therefore I lie down and I sleep and I wake again because you are the one that sustains me. I will not fear because of what Jesus has done. Lord, change my heart. This is how we worship God. Not just through the songs that we sing, but in the way that we live, trusting what Jesus has done. And from that place, we enter uncertain, unfamiliar, and hurtful moments with thanksgiving because we say, thank you, God, that you are my shield around me. Thank you, God, that you are the one that lifts my head, that answers my prayers, that sustains me, and you care. You love. So this morning as we end, what do you put your trust How's your worship? Because worship unto God is trusting Him for what He has already done. And from that place, thanking Him. Let's close our eyes. And before I just pray for us, I want just to see, quiet down and reflect. not just over the songs of trust that we sing but how do you trust God with your life and Holy Spirit I want to ask that as we do this that you would come and minister to our hearts and that you would now come and reveal to each one of us an area that you want to address this morning Lord, an area where we're not worshiping you because we're not fully trusting you. I pray that you would come and reveal it to us, Lord. And may you, may you deal with that area this morning. If God is showing you a specific area, don't you want to use this opportunity? Turn to Him. Say, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me that I've chosen to trust other things, that I've chosen to trust myself instead of you. Would you forgive me that I've chosen to worship on the false pretenses for my own benefit? You know there's an area that God is addressing this morning. It's an area that God is highlighting that He says, this area you're not trusting me. I want us this morning to respond in, in faith to what Jesus has already done. If you know that God is doing something in your life, if you know that God is highlighting an area where you're not trusting Him, not worshiping Him, would you stand? Not to expose you, but to stand in faith. And Lord, as we're standing this morning, acknowledging that we believe you want to do something in our lives, Lord. We thank you for what you've already done, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can stand this morning in faith that we are accepted and loved, not because of our goodness and our trust in you, but because of what you've already done, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that we have the privilege 
of knowing you and walking in relationship with you, that we can have the assurance that you are good and faithful and that you are with us, Lord, and that there's new life and new promises in your name for each one of us to put our faith and trust in what you have done, Lord Jesus. And Lord, this morning, as we acknowledge this, Lord, we're turning back to you, Lord, and we're asking, Lord, would you change our hearts? Would you remind us of what you've done and who you are? Lord, we don't want to live like Absalom, but we want to worship you like David in complete trust, knowing that you are enough. You are the one that sustains. And this morning, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for what you've already done. And as you're standing, don't, want you, don't you want to pray this prayer over that area of your life? Lord, you are the shield around me. The one who lifts my head high and answers me. I lie down and I sleep and I wake again because, Lord, you sustain me. Thank you, Lord, that you are the shield. Thank you that you are the one that restores, that you are the one that answers, and that you are the one that sustains. It's such a privilege to know and to trust you, Lord. And therefore, Lord, I will not fear. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And all of us say, Amen. Family, let's just stand um, as we respond just to what Jonathan shared. May we really just take this moment to give thanks, to put our trust and our faith in him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. May we never lose the gift and the joy of giving thanks. And may we restore our trust and our faith in him like David did. May that be the cry and the posture of our hearts. And I just want to encourage you, let's just set aside everything and let's just worship him. Let us fix our eyes and our hearts onto him. If you want to kneel down, if you want to lift your hands, let us worship him in a posture of surrender. Because he deserves everything. Everything. Amen. covenant of faithful promises time and time again you have proven you do this what you say though the storms may come and the winds may blow I remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak the word it come to pass Great Setting same, I will praise your name. And great is your faithfulness to me. Worship you, Jesus. Oh, you worship you, Your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. And then my heart and speak the Faithfulness to me. 
Is a strong tower, the righteous running, and they are safe in the name of the Lord. There is power, yes, you are the name above all. Come on, let's declare. Gizoli Riza, 
this morning.
me this next song. I just want to encourage us to sing this as a declaration, as a chant. That Lord, all of my life, in every season, I will still praise you. I will still worship you. I will give you the honor and the glory you rightfully deserve. Regardless of what is happening, regardless of my circumstance, you are still God. You are still mighty. You are still faithful. And you have never failed me and you won't fail me. May this be the cry and the posture of our hearts that in the desert place, we will worship him. In the desert place, we will lift up our hands and surrender and say, Lord, here I am. I just surrender to you, Lord. This is my prayer in the desert when all that within me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire, in weakness or trial or pain. There is a faith proved of more worth than gold. So find me, Lord, through the flame. I will bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice and I will declare, God is my victory and he is here. Oh, you are here, Jesus. Oh, we Jesus, oh, you are here. 